Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is a disease that government contractors sometimes catch called incumbentitis. In the interest of always trying to make better sounding podcasts, we try out new recording tools from time to time. Sometimes it works out, sometimes not. This is one of those nots, and we won't be using those tools again. I'm not a big fan of the audio quality in this episode. See if you can hear a few things that I had to fix in post-production. Be sure to join us in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn. Because group members stay connected with other podcast listeners who are winning in the government market. Okay, let's get this episode started. Today, we're going to talk about common reasons that an incumbent loses the follow-on competition. When I was growing up, this was probably called being a little bit too big for your britches. I guess it's maybe a little arrogance thing. We touched on the, some of the challenges of being an incumbent, most recently in the Crucible of the Incumbent episode, which was uh, encore actually in episode 219. In that episode, I used the term incumbent-itis. It's kind of like a disease that the incumbent can catch that, that kills them in the upcoming competition, or at least cripples them, maybe. All right, before we get on with that, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks this week to Donna Payton. Donna is the program director at Human Touch LLC. It's a cybersecurity, cloud computing, and engineering firm in McLean, Virginia. We appreciate Donna specifically for posting compliments about the podcast on LinkedIn and for resharing our podcast episode on LinkedIn, because the best way for people to find the Contracting Officer podcast is for people like Donna to share the content with their peers. Thanks, Donna. All right, let's dive into the pathology of incumbentitis. How does this happen? Many recompetes are lost because the incumbent doesn't either recognize or acknowledge that, that things have changed since last time they won. The axiom of things have changed, it applies in a lot of places in business and here as well. After five years almost of doing this podcast, people are using the content to win contracts and, and they even get their contracting officer warrant. So things have changed from our perspective on how much people use the podcast, how they're using it. I mean, think about that. They're using a free podcast to accelerate their success in the government market. That's very flattering, but I mean, that's something that's changed. And you know, we thought this might happen five years ago, but it's really kind of cool. Podcasts have changed how people learn across the board. There's thousands and thousands of very useful podcasts out there, and there's thousands and thousands, I think, of, of not so useful podcasts. <laughs> but, I, but I know you and I both listen to many podcasts to, to grow and learn. The, the risk, of course, is, is if you missed the change. If the change is happening, if, you, if your competitors are listening to podcasts and learning stuff about you know, program management or, or how to play a guitar better, and you're not, right? So that's the core symptom of incumbentitis, is, is if you missed that things have changed. It could be changes in customer needs. You might read the statement of work or the performance work statement that comes out with the draft RFP or the RFP. But you really need to talk to people to understand what they're really thinking. They may have, I know this is going to sound weird, Kevin, they may have cut and pasted from a previous SAO or PWS. Shocking. I never did that. <laughs> they might have changed their minds about what they want, but they might have reused poorly some words from a previous document 
that don't really say what they want. You need to talk to them about what they want. It, it can also be that there's a change in the technology that's used to provide the service or manufacture the product. Like the shift to cloud computing and storage has made obsolete how we used to do business. And someday I'm sure it will be made obsolete. But if you miss that and everyone else has moved on, you're going to lose the next competition. And, and that happened a while ago in a lot of industries. It sure did. It could also be just a change in, in the trends. It could just be a fashion thing where what you're doing is still perfectly reasonable, perfectly efficient, and solves their problem. But no one wants to be seen buying the old stuff that, that isn't cool anymore, even if it still works. If everybody's using the new blue thing, Maybe the customer wants the blue one too. And if you're still using red, eh, you might be out, even if red works just fine. It's like if you have an iPhone 4. Really? <laughs> it still works. It's like having an old couch in the lobby of your office. It's functional. It's still a couch. You still sit on it, but it might be dated. It might be tattered. And because you've seen it every day for the last 10 years, you don't realize how it's, it's better days are gone. <laughs> and so it's, it's that question of you ask, what's old around here? And it's harder to see the things that you have that are old versus when somebody gets a first impression and they go, dude, you got to get rid of that couch. Yeah, it's not just the old couch. It's the old way of doing business, the old process, the old tools. If you're knee deep in doing what you do that way, it's very difficult to recognize that there's a new way to do it if you don't open your eyes and ask that very question, what's old around here? It's like when we had the term telecommuting in a recent episode we did. The government uses the term telecommuting and everybody else calls it remote work. There, there's an example. It's like telecommuting, you hear that differently. That's like an old couch. It's like, why is that still here? Why is it still in the far? Let's talk about some of the symptoms of incumbinitis. One symptom that's not necessarily just a symptom of incumbinitis, but still it's common out there and it can play into your incumbinitis is underestimation of your competitors. If it's been five years since you last competed for this work, have you been watching what's going on around you? Do you know what your competitors have been working on lately? Do you know who they've hired? Have they hired some new people who've changed their competitive nature? Maybe these new people have key contacts with your customers. What jobs like this have your competitors recently won with other agencies? Or what jobs have they recently lost? Are they desperate? How badly do they need this work? It matters. Do they really need this work? Are they willing to dive to the bottom of the pricing barrel? Do they really need to win this just to keep the people they have employed? Yeah, is, is this a must win for them and you don't know it? Because they're coming at it with a very different angle. Another symptom is overestimation of your customer's love for you. Do you have an advocate in the acquisition office? You may have someone at the customers who absolutely loves you. And that person may have switched to a new job or retired. Yeah. Or it could be just the power structure has changed and they don't carry as much weight as they used to. They can't sway opinions like they used to do. Or the focused mission of the organization may have shifted just enough that this program used to be the most important thing they had. And now it's, you know, one of them. And so Certain people get moved off of it. It's not getting as much attention. That could be the difference. And if you don't know that, and you don't notice that, you don't see that, that it's changed, if someone else does, that's a problem. Who else in the acquisition office can influence opinions? 
because those opinions are carried into proposal evaluations. Even though they're reading the words that you've put in your proposal, those opinions matter. We had one source election where a CETA on the government side, systems engineering technical assistance service contractor, someone there to help them evaluate the proposals, carried a huge amount of influence into the source selection. This was the recognized expert on something. We knew who that person was, but we did not know that he was working this source selection. So we wrote our proposal based on what we thought the acquisition office wanted to see, what they had said they wanted. This guy came into the source selection, had a slightly different opinion that ended up carrying the day. And it's not like they didn't evaluate based on the rules they set up. They just looked at it slightly differently. And that slightly differently helped us lose. Another one is lack of proposal diligence. This concept of, oh, we got this in the bag. We did it last time. It, you know, that copy and paste exercise. I had a company come to us. They were looking for us to look over their proposal for them. And they started with, well, we're the incumbent on this, so this shouldn't take you know, more than a couple of hours. It was a 40-page proposal. Their mindset was, we got this. They had reused so much of the content from the previous proposal, in addition to reusing a lot of the, the solution. Like to, they had not thought of this in terms of, this is a new opportunity. This is just a copy and paste. It's the same work we're doing before. We got this in the bag. The risk then is they say, okay, well, the red team review, you can do that in a couple of hours. This is a $15 million proposal. And your mindset is it's easy enough that a consultant can do it in two hours. That's frightening. But that's, that's the mindset. That's a very easy to fall into that trap. This symptom is very common that companies don't put the diligence into the recompete proposals. They think it's easy and they think they've got it. They don't start early enough. They don't work as hard to get information out of the customer and information out of the users. They reuse proposal content, like you said. This leads us right to the next symptom, which is proposing what you're doing now instead of proposing what's next. And that's an example of you not realizing what's changed or, or not even considering that something may have changed. Your competitors are going to ghost you. They're going to write about why what you're doing now, your, why your current approach is wrong, why it's old, why it's dated, why they can do something better. You need to approach every proposal like you've never worked for this customer before and like you've never done this work for them before. You need to write like your competitors write. I've seen proposals that ghost yourself. You actually explain why the current approach that you've been doing is wrong or old or dated and why this new way of doing it is better. You're basically writing like a competitor. Because you're realizing that things have changed and here's what we're doing about it. Let's talk a little more about, about overconfidence in proposal writing because overconfidence is one of those symptoms of incumbentitis. Remember that the proposal evaluators can only evaluate what you write in your proposal. I talked about opinions before. Opinions may add weight to the strengths or weaknesses that they assess against your proposal. So if, if they like you, you may get a little extra credit. If they don't like you, you may get knocked down a little bit. <laughs> you can't get a strength for something they know, in, in quotes, but you haven't written into the proposal. That's the important part. It has to be written in the proposal for them to give you official credit for it. You can, however, get a weakness for not writing something that they know. That's another sin that incumbents commit 
on a regular basis is they forget that they know this and think that everybody knows it and they forget to actually put it in the proposal, write it down, make it something that is able to be evaluated. Let's pause here and link this conversation to the acquisition and execution time zones. If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones or in episode three and the execution time zones are in episode 84. On the acquisition time zone side, this starts during the market research zone, when the government is actively looking for people other than you, uh, other than the incumbent. If you have incumbentitis, you might not raise your head and make yourself visible during the market research zone or visible enough during the market research zone. And the folks doing the, the market research, they're going to see indicators of things have changed when they look at other people. But if they're not looking at you because you're not raising your hand, out of the gate, you've already got somewhat of a disadvantage because now they're doing it the new way and the incumbent's doing it the old way. And unless you show that you're with the new people, that you've seen things have changed, right. you've got risk and you might not even see it. Hence, you know, hence the symptom. During the RFP zone, different symptoms become apparent. You have to read the RFP. If you're sure that you're the incumbent and you've got this and you know what's best, you might write a proposal based on what you think they want rather than what the RFP says. I guarantee you that your competitors are reading every word of the RFP and responding to that. In the last of the acquisition time zones, the source selection zone, this is where the government is evaluating whether you wrote to the RFP or whether you just ignored it and proposed the same thing that you've always done. Yeah, this, this is where you're scored on how much incumbentitis you have. <laughs> you might have just a touch of it. You might have a full-blown raging case. <laughs> a raging case of incumbentitis. The copy and paste factor really shows up here. I had one that it looked like the same proposal. I mean, I, I didn't go back and compare, but it seemed like the same proposal <laughs> from again, again, five years ago, right? And here's the thing. I wasn't the contracting officer five years ago. So it, it, it just seemed very dated in terms of like the language they used. You know, it, it's kind of like if they started talking about an iPhone 4 in the middle of this, when iPhone 8 was the standard and you're like, you copied that. It's like, it just, it sounded like you didn't <laughs> update stuff. And because I wasn't here before, it really sounded old. It's like you started talking about telecommuting. Yeah. It just, it hit me as, oh, that's weird. Again, I'm, I'm one of several evaluators, but guess what? A lot of those evaluators were all the, also seated contractors and yep. their contract had been renewed. <laughs> Some of those people were new. And so you start to multiply during the, the source selection zone. If you didn't treat this like a new piece of work for your company, it shows. I almost forgot we're still on the time zones. In the execution time zone <laughs> side, this is during the recompete zone, right? This is where the zones cross over each other. The recompete zone for a competition carries on. And it overlaps with the market research zone on the follow-on competition. So the recompete zone is also the market research zone for the new competition, for the follow-on. And that's when the incumbent actually has a really huge advantage to be able to communicate through the market research zone. Because they're already talking to the government customer. They're already there. If they squander that opportunity to be able to be part of the market research, or at least be influencing it, or be aware that it's happening... It's going to show up when others have noticed that things have changed and you just ignored it. And, and again, this is a big issue for me because I've seen it a surprising number of times. Why is incumbentitis an important topic to discuss here? If you're the incumbent, your recompete win rate should be 100%. You should win everything you recompete. You have every advantage. Being the incumbent, it, it's an incredible advantage. 
think about it. You know the customer. You know the exact work, assuming it hasn't changed greatly. I mean, usually it's roughly the same thing. And you know how much it costs to actually do it. You know how to do it in a way that's going to be profitable. You have a lot of advantage. Despite that, the actual recompete win rate is more like 50 to 75%, depending on what source you use. It's not 100%, far less than that. And we talked about that in the Crucible the Incumbent episode, that there, there are more factors to it. But realistically, when, when you win a contract, your future pipeline is based on you continuing to win that contract. I mean, the expectation is you don't lose customers. That Crucible the Incumbent episode highlighted why all of the advantages that you just talked about can also be an incredible disadvantage. You know the customer. Yeah, that should be good. But the customer also knows you. They know the goods and the bads. You know the work, but the work may have changed while your mindset, understandably, is, is all about how it's done now. Sure, you know exactly how much it costs to do it, but the cost to do it today may not relate well to new ways to accomplish that the desired end result, if they've changed what they wanted or if the technology has changed, if they want the same thing. Plus, your competitors are likely to know how much your current contract value is So they know the bogey that they're aiming for. They got to be below that for sure. (laughs) They're also more likely to underbid out of lack of understanding of the scope. You, You know what it takes to do the job. If they don't understand it all, they might leave something out and propose a lower price that they then have to figure out how to execute later. Or they could even be buying in. They know exactly what it costs because they've watched you do the job, but they're going to undercut it so they can take it away from you. On the government side, why does the government care about incumbentitis? On the government side, if you don't want change, communicate that to industry so folks know that the incumbent is doing a good job and is favored because they know this solution is working as being performed. This will weed out some of the competitors and make your job easier because the people who realize they can't do that aren't going to bid. However, don't assume your incumbent will write a good proposal nonetheless. You got to make sure you challenge them because if they think we got this, then they're more likely to mail it in, to think that it's just a copy and paste exercise and the government loves us. So we've already got this and the performance may not be as good. You may be overpaying. You may have too many people, lots of things, all the things we talked about, things have changed, right? They may not be aware of it. They may not even look if they get too much of a feel of, okay, we got this. Yeah, there are certainly ways to let industry know that you're happy with what you have and let that entrenched incumbent not see as much competition from other companies. But if you as the government don't challenge the incumbent and let them know that this is going to be a really tough competition and let them know that everyone's coming after them, they're not going to give you a really super competitive price. You have to keep them on their toes. There's a difference between saying we're happy with the performance versus saying we're happy with you know mediocrity next time. Right. That's a big difference. So no, don't don't give them both of those. Give them more happy, but we're expecting like all things in business, it should get better, more efficient, whatever. Government folks, don't fall for buy-ins from competitors to the incumbent. If you award to someone who bid an extraordinarily low price compared to what the job has been done for in in the past, you're going to regret it after you award to them. You're going to see performance issues. You're going to see requests for changes. This will be uh, an ECP, an engineering change proposal nightmare. New competitors can 
easily underestimate the price because they haven't been doing the job. So the more information you share, which is we always talk about communicate, 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 the more you share, the more likely you are to get realistic proposals from a scope and, and price standpoint and not get an accidental buy-in. People might bid low in order to win on price, but they won't accidentally bid less than it costs to do the job and cause you problems later. One last note on price realism. Government folks, compare your labor rates to commercial industry, not just the competitors for this competition. Because remember, in the talent market, government contractors are competing against everyone in the business for that talent. Every company out there, not just government contractors. If every proposal you get has a crazy low price for software developers, and you look across the industry and find out that no one is hiring software developers for that low of a salary, you may have a problem. All of your competitors may be delusionally competitive. And none of them have an eye on what it's really going to take to do the job. And that's particularly important for service contractors because of the labor rates. But it's also important for manufacturing of products. In a recent episode, we talked about welders. Welders are particularly high value skill right now. But the people who do welding for things that don't end up in the government market, it's the same people. (laughs) We're looking for the same people. And that's one of those things. Like I like you're delusionally competitive. We're not inside a tiny box here. We're on the open market. And it's very easy for, for someone who doesn't know the work as well, who's not an incumbent, to say, oh, yeah, we, we can get that done. And they, they don't know how hard it's going to be to get somebody to drive to a military base, wait in line to get on base, all the things it takes to do that for a pay cut. It's, it's, it's a, that's a tough thing to fix. Not going to happen. Exactly. We kind of slipped over to why industry cares, right? These are, these are problems that can be created if the incumbent has incumbentitis. It can be fatal. It's preventable, or it's at least treatable, but there doesn't appear to be any vaccine that's been created that provides permanent protection from incumbentitis. So you always got to be on the lookout for it. Recognize those symptoms. Even if you get through one proposal, incumbentitis free, you're clear. (laughs) Those symptoms can creep back in. Remember, as the incumbent, you have advantages that can easily turn cancerous on you. Just a little tiny bit of badness could grow into a giant tumor that loses the competition for you. You know how to do the job you're doing now. It may not be what the government customer wants next time. You know exactly how much it costs. Your competitors may be over-optimistic about their costs, and they are eager to unseat you. They're trying to take the work away. If you recognize all those things, you can prevent incumbentitis from ruining your recompete win. All right, I think we've gone long enough on this disease today. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. Like I said, this is preventable. It, it, it is very treatable, but like some fatal diseases, you ignore the symptoms at your peril. The, the, all these things we talked about, those are symptoms of incumbentitis creeping into to your next opportunity. And, and here's what's really scary. If the entire organization has it and it spreads, like you said, it's like a cancer, right? It could spread across all the opportunities. And I, there was one large business that we worked with they assumed, I kid you not, that they had this contract wrapped up for, we're the only, one that, we're the only ones that do this, so we're going to have this locked in for the next 20 years. Oof. You're the only one that does this today. <laughs> and, and maybe for the next five, but to be able to even think that you could project that far out, that was hubris, that was quite shocking. But that, that's how it starts, right? And think about it. What if the CEO says that? 
or the division director says that. And it just, everybody thinks that that's true. That spreads like wildfire. It's like that person that, that keeps smoking and says, my grandfather smoked two packs a day and lived to 101. Just ignoring all the evidence that this might be bad and might kill you. It's not guaranteed to, but it's certainly more likely to. I'm going to circle back to talking about price. It's common for an incumbent to lose to a lower price competitor. We've talked about that in a whole bunch of previous episodes. It's also common for the government to regret their decision to award to someone else when their new source has trouble performing. If you successfully avoid catching incumbentitis, you won't lose to a lower price competitor and you'll offer the government a low risk solution for whatever new solution they want to acquire. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. I'll see you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn and right here next week. Because when rates are... What is going on in the back? A bird. That's a crow outside my door. Stupid (laughs) nature. Can you hear that? I'm going to go chase him away. I think he's on the side of the house. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't quite as good as the lizard, but pretty close.